0: Welcome to Inside Seaweed. This is the podcast where we talk about the incredible world of seaweed, and how this growing industry is bringing innovation and solutions to address climate change and the environmental crisis. My guest today is Carlo Fedeli. Originally from Italy, Carlo is the CEO and co-founder of Flexi, a startup founded in London in 2021. Flexi is developing alternative packaging materials from seaweed in order to replace single-use flexible plastic packaging. In just over a year, they've already come a really long way and have lots of interesting things that they are currently working on which is why I was really excited to interview Carlo for this episode. We've dug into some of the work he's doing with Flexi, but also talked about some general topics about the seaweed industry, such as public perception, legislation, and even carbon credits. I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Here it goes. Carlo, nice to finally sit down and talk seaweed with you. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's great to be here. Look, I, I wanted to start with Monaco. I wanted to start. I know you're you're currently based in London. Yes. But you lived in Monaco for a few years before moving to the UK. How how long were you there for? Uh,
1: I actually, grew up there all, all my life. I'm uh, I'm Italian. I'm uh, originally from Rome. I was born there, but then I did all uh, all my schools up to the end of uh, high school in uh, in Monaco. So until I was 18, essentially.
0: uh was it was it an interesting place to be for a young Carlo Fideli?
1: Oh, definitely! It was, uh, it was it was great fun. It was great to to live in a in a place where you had a lot of international exposure, and there was always something going on. And also for me, it was it was great to be living uh, by the sea. Uh, i feel really connected by the sea, and and that's also part of why I want to to protect it today, in, in whatever way I can, because I think it's a, such an important resource and ecosystem and environment that. Having lived it and experienced it firsthand all my life, both the positives and the negatives of it, uh, I can say that I know it quite a bit and uh, and really it is one of my biggest passions
0: you Do you think we would be here talking about seaweed and plastic pollution if you had grown up in say Milan or Paris somewhere far from the sea
1: i don't know about seaweed, maybe about plastic pollution. Uh, I feel that I am fairly environmentally conscious. Um, regardless of uh, seaweed in general, uh, but there is a good chance that we'll definitely be talking about something environmentally uh, in the space of, env- of the environmentalist and sustainability. Definitely, having lived so close to the sea, uh, one of the biggest, at least most visible pollution you have in, in the sea and in the oceans is plastic, so I saw that a lot. Uh, I also I used to do rowing in Monaco, so I could actually see it pretty much every day on, on the water itself, uh, and that definitely pushed me towards plastic pollution and from the sea to seaweed. That definitely did play a role, yes. You
0: mentioned rowing. I, I understand there is a connection between rowing and how you got to know your co-founder. What's that about?
1: Yes, yes, exactly. So uh, I used I used to row with uh, my co-founder's uh, older brother. Uh, and uh, so we've known each other for a very, very long time. And essentially, it just happened a pure coincidence that we were finishing our master um I Imperial College, Uh, my co-founder Thibaut, uh, CTO today, he was studying uh, his master's in material science science and engineering and I was uh, doing my master's in innovation, entrepreneurship and management and although I did study before in another university, I did my bachelor's at Warwick University, uh, we sort of reconnected when we were there and um, so yeah, that was a couple years ago now but we've known each other for a long time because of this connection through uh, his brother and rowing.
0: Talking about you and your co-founder, you you guys have founded and incorporated Flexi just over a year ago, Um, you're in the UK, was the UK the the obvious choice for you to start Flexi or or have you guys considered starting up somewhere else instead, what what made the, the UK the right choice for you?
1: So we incorporated, yes, just, just over a year ago. Uh, we celebrated recently our one-year uh, birthday of Flexi. I incorporated on the 27th of April, 2021. Uh, and we incorporated here. Thank you. <laughs> and we incorporated here in, uh, in London and in the UK. I would say it was probably the most, maybe not the most obvious place, but the most obvious first step. Uh, we were both here uh, at the time, and we still are. Uh, And also looking at the startup and innovation ecosystem, we felt and and we still feel that the UK is perhaps a bit ahead of uh, other places in Europe, at least. Um, We think that the startup um, industry, it's more developed here, it's more consolidated and there would have been more exposure to potential investors, to potential markets as well. Um, and also, when you look at um, the EU and how it is developing towards bioplastics and uh, how it's doing its legislation towards bioplastic, the fact that the UK left the EU means that it might have some slighter, slightly different implications into those legislations. So it might be more friendly towards bioplastics and their application in the end. But that is all speculative, really, course, yeah. we'll see that the, in the coming years. So it sounds like
0: it sort of naturally happened, but also you realized that you were in the right place. Yes, exactly. Talking about your journey with Flexi so far, what, what have been for you the, the highlights and the lowlights of the journey? What, what have been the, the best and worst moments for you?
1: Ooh, uh, There's been quite a few, even though we've only been officially working uh, as a company for a year. I mean, the project has been going on for just over two years, but uh, one year within an incorporated company, but there's been a lot of highs and lows. Uh, I'd say the high, uh, maybe one of the highs was when we first started, uh, Thibaut and I, and we managed to get into our first accelerator program, which at the time was Mass Challenge Switzerland. I mean, we had barely incorporated the company and we're already entering into such an advanced uh, accelerator, which is pretty much globally known. I mean, you're working with Sponsors from uh, companies such as Nestlé, Givaudan, Sudzucker, Barry Calbo, I mean, big, big, big names. And we were, and we still are, very small. But uh, it's incredible for us to think that out of nothing, very quickly, we went from zero to working with these people. And uh, that was definitely one of the highest. And uh, lows, uh, I mean, I can't really pick out a low. Uh, all I can say is that being an entrepreneur, you have highs and lows every day. The important is not to focus so much on the lows, but always look upwards towards the highs and make sure that every high is higher than the one before. <laughs> but I can't really pick out a, a specific low, to be honest. No, that's fine. Sounds like it all happened quite quickly for you anyway. It, it has happened and still is happening. Everything moves very quickly, yes.
0: Flexi is developing a biomaterial to replace flexible plastic packaging. Um, this is the, the transparent plastic film we often get our food in, from pasta, bags, fruit, vegetable, snacks even. Is that is that correct?
1: Yes, exactly. Well, uh, What we're doing is we're developing uh, biomaterials from seaweed to replace single-use flexible plastic packaging. So the plastic film that, as you said, can be found in packets of uh, pasta, rice, uh, uh, general dry items. We focus on dry items because of the characteristics of our material, but really we want to have the impact in these flexible plastics, which are the ones which are always the dirtiest and the hardest to recycle, and th- therefore also have the lowest recycling rate. Uh, globally, uh, we recycle roughly 9% of uh, all plastics, and most of those are actually PET bottles, When it, and so semi-rigids. When you look at flexible and uh, soft plastics, there really isn't much of, uh, of it being recycled, unfortunately, today. With our material, a material which you can discard, uh, we don't want to encourage littering of course, we don't want to say you can discard it in nature, but if it does eventually end up in nature, or if it goes into your home compost, uh, or even if you just bin it regularly, it will eventually decompose um, naturally without leaving behind any microplastics or any other sort of harmful chemicals.
0: So it's mostly single-use plastic that you sort of...
1: It is uh, only single-use. We're focusing on single-use, yes. Okay. And
0: what what problem does Flexi solve that other bioplastics don't?
1: Well, when you look at bioplastics today on the market, uh, just to start, there's no seaweed bioplastic on the market widely available today. Um, However, there are other bioplastics. The other bioplastics today, uh, they are derived from uh, food crops, so the main resource, the main raw material is uh, mostly things like sugarcane, potato, starch uh, that comes from uh, these these crops, uh, even sugar beet, cassava in certain countries, and essentially these uh, are then treated these starches to create materials such as pla so polylactic acid is the most common bioplastic uh, out there today and polylactic acid is not truly home compostable so when you talk about composting you have to differentiate between home compostability and industrial compostability pla falls in the second category so while with home compostable items like flexi You can literally put them in the soil, or in uh, marine environments, freshwater systems, whatever, and they will eventually degrade. Industrial composting uh, items and materials will only degrade in in specific uh, facilities. So you have what are called industrial composting facilities, which have to collect these materials and expose them to higher temperatures than they would find in nature, and increase microbial uh, and bacterial activity than they would find naturally in nature. In those conditions, it will eventually decompose and uh, will not leave uh, particularly harmful chemicals behind. The issue is that those conditions that these facilities recreate just are not found in nature. So if this bioplastic ends up uh, in in a forest or in the ocean, it will stay there pretty much indefinitely. Maybe not as long as petroleum-based plastic, but long enough for it to become a problem. And also you have to look at where these uh, are coming from. So when you look at uh, food crops, of course there is... Uh, the argument that uh, you can make them with food uh, waste but even then even if you're making it with food waste you're still tapping into waste that comes from a resource that essentially needs arable land, fresh water, pesticides and fertilizers to grow. Um, So it's not really the most renewable. When you look at Flexi and the seaweed-based bioplastic it solves both the issue of the afterlife of the material so how it will compost in nature like truly in natural conditions and also at the source seaweed needs no land no fresh water no pesticides and no fertilizers it also grows much faster than any other land crop uh, we're talking roughly 45 day cycles so you could actually go from starting to cultivate your seaweed to harvesting it roughly six to seven times a year which is incredible it's uh, unknown off on land and also it captures a lot of CO2, up to two kilotons per square hectare of cultivation, which is more than any land crop as well. So there really are so many positives about seaweed and the bioplastics that is derived from it, compared to other bioplastics.
0: Mm, really, really impressive. If say say I, I, I just um, opened a bag of rice or something and and I, I need to get rid of it. And it's it's flexible material. Um, you mentioned mm-hmm. obviously compostability and biodegradability and all, and all of that. Um, what would be what am I best to do at that point what's the best way of dispose of it
1: so if you have a a backyard or a a composting bin uh, for food waste you put it there and that would be the ideal place for it to end up in Uh, if you do not have that uh, you could just put it in your normal bin and eventually it will degrade there as well because of natural humidity that is present in the the environment the worst case scenario and let's say worse uh, with brackets, uh, if, if, um, inverted commas, sorry, is that you would not know it's flexi and you put it into the recycling stream. Well, let me tell you something. Right now, when you look at recycling, uh, I mentioned earlier the recycling rate between 7 and 9%. So even at best, say 9%, that means that that piece of plastic, uh, of non-plastic, of flexi material that you put into the recycling bin has a 91% chance of not ending up into a recycling facility. Uh, Flexi is not recyclable, uh, definitely not recyclable with petroleum-based plastic, but even if it gets there, it has a 91% chance of ending up in a landfill. It will eventually uh, degrade. So, really, although the composting bin is the best and the normal waste bin is the second best, any destination for Flexi really is not the end of the world and will still be a better alternative than uh, any end-of-life sort of uh, possibility than petroleum-based plastic offers today. How could public perception influence
0: the the adoption of a product like Flexi? Do you think there is maybe a PR, educational, cultural barrier to overcome first?
1: Uh, I wouldn't call it a barrier, I would call it an opportunity. Uh, Today, you have roughly 76% of consumers which are willing to even pay a premium for sustainably packaged products. I think that consumers, especially as, as our generation becomes a, a major sort of a slice of the demographic, uh, know about the importance of choosing more sustainable alternatives and knows about the importance um, of trying to push those alternatives to market to actually make them a reality. So I see the opportunity there where customers will eventually know about materials like Flexi and will start demanding them in their, in their products. That they use every day and eventually they will go um, this mindset will end up in the companies that produce their products and those companies will start um, sourcing materials to package their products from companies like flexi that is our sort of dream and ideal scenario and that's something that we really keep at heart Um, obviously we are a b2b company we do not sell plastic to consumers because no one buys plastic just to buy plastic. That's just not how life works, unfortunately, or fortunately, it depends on the point of views. Uh, but the main thing is that even though we are B2B, we strongly believe in bridging this gap to the eventual consumer, which is not our direct um, customer, but it still is the person and sort of the, the identity that will eventually use our material to educate them on what possibilities Flexi offers, uh, so how to dispose of it, but also on the opportunities that it offers on a global, bigger scale of actually being A climate friendly, uh, environmentally friendly and sustainable material, where it comes from, why it comes from, where it comes, so everything that goes with the seaweed, the advantages of seaweed and advantages of the material itself compared to petroleum-based plastic.
0: You mentioned educating them. What are you doing at the moment in terms of communication?
1: Well, right now uh, we're still in, a, in an early stage. Uh, we are still doing uh, research and development of the, our material. We're not commercially available, mm-hmm. if not for very small scale pilots, which we are seeking for right now. But um, we have a presence online, so we are present on uh, LinkedIn. That's our main sort of channel to to reach us, to see what we're doing. We're pretty active. We post uh, more than once a week, uh, and. Uh, we try and engage with our audience. So we have a growing community of followers, uh, people who are also signed up to our newsletter. So we recently launched our newsletter. Uh, we called it The Harvest, as uh, sort of like a nice, a relevant name, given that uh, we will we will post it every, we will basically send out the, the newsletter every 45 days. And that is a direct reference to the amount of time it takes to actually harvest your crop of seaweed. So hence, The Harvest. We recently sent out our first uh, edition of The Harvest just uh, last week. Uh, as uh, sort of uh, on the same day as our birthday, so we use that as an occasion to launch it, and we will do one in uh, well just just under two months now to actually send it out uh, the second edition, and that's also to tell people uh, what we're doing, what we plan to do, uh, what we've achieved during this period, uh, and also to try and bring awareness not only to us. Uh, we're not a bunch of egocentrics. We also want to bring uh, an awareness, a general awareness about the seaweed industry, how is it evolving, and the opportunities that it offers. Um, so we also have what we call uh, our flexi facts in this uh, in this newsletter, which are not limited to just us, but also to the industry as a whole.
0: Glad you mentioned the industry. Um, obviously, seaweed as an industry is a very well-established uh, industry in Asia, but it's mm-hmm. relatively new in Europe and the West in general. Yeah. Does that make things difficult for you? And, and if so, what, what is your main challenge at the moment or, or the, most, the most frustrating thing that you're <laughs> having to deal with at the moment?
1: Uh, so, the first part of your question about the location of, of the seaweed and the, the seaweed cultivation. Mm-hmm. For us, that's not an issue. In fact, the seaweed that we use is, uh, is red seaweed which actually grows mostly in uh, tropical and subtropical countries and um, coastal areas. So when you look at the seaweed industry, uh, seaweed world, I would say even as a whole, you have to look at the fact that there's three major macro families of seaweed. So you have the red seaweeds, which are the ones that we use, then you have brown seaweeds and green seaweeds. With red seaweeds making up roughly 50% of the total seaweed uh, market. Red seaweeds are the ones that are most cultivated, and they are the ones that have the highest content of bioavailable uh, uh, biopolymers for us to use in our material, hence why we use those. Uh, Red seaweeds have been cultivated for the past 50 or 60 years now in Southeast Asia. Uh, The biggest countries are Indonesia and Philippines. You have incredibly big plans to increase production in countries such as India, Tanzania, Madagascar, uh, even on the western coast of africa and in south america and chile it really is a increasingly large economy which in my opinion plastic or no plastic will play a big role in the future because there's so many things you can do with uh, seaweed when it comes to europe uh, you have a the main issue is the fact that you have colder water uh, just because of where europe is in the world um so when you work with colder waters you work with brown seaweed like kelp uh, so all the, the laminarias, the alarias, uh, and the sargassums, even red seaweed struggles a bit more. There are some species, of course, that uh, grow in colder waters, but they tend to be the ones that are not uh, as cultivated. And even though there are projects that are beginning cultivation of red seaweed in Europe, either inland or onshore, offshore, sorry, they tend to be much more expensive than what we can find in other countries which have a more established cultivation, like I uh, mentioned earlier, Indonesia, Philippines, And for this reason, it makes more sense for us to source from those countries, because plastic, the reality is you can make the plastic the nicest plastic you want, the most sustainable plastic you want, but it has to be dirt cheap. So when you work with a high volume, low value material, you just cannot afford to pay too much for the seaweed. Uh, Having said this, it makes total sense for cultivation to uh, be set up in Europe as well. Uh, because you have a lot of higher value applications for seaweed uh, extracts, for example, when you look at cosmetics and pigments, those are things that obviously have a higher value than plastic and packaging, especially single-use packaging. So it makes perfect sense for those things to those cultivations to to take place in Europe as well down the line. Are there
0: any plans for you guys to start potentially farming your own
1: seaweed? Uh, in the long term, uh, mm-hmm. who knows? Uh, right now, in the short and medium term, uh, probably not farming. Definitely we will look into uh, bio-extraction and biorefinery. refinery so essentially to work with our uh, to get our material what you want to do is you want to plant seaweed once the seaweed is ready you harvest it and Then you have to uh, biorefine it and when you biorefine you extract the biopolymers. What we want to do is we want to take uh, Internalize this step to have a better control over what uh, we're actually extracting on the quality of the, ma- the biomolecules that we're extracting and also to decrease the cost, because of course if you do it in house, it would be much more. Uh, it makes more sense to do it in house because it costs less. At the same time, we also see the great value of something that is called uh, cascading extraction. So, to m- make it simple, when you have seaweed, uh, the biomolecules that we use make up roughly thirty percent of the weight of the dry seaweed. However, there still is that seventy percent which today is literally thrown away or at best given off as animal feed. However, that 70% still contains, as I mentioned earlier, pigments, but also lipids, proteins, vitamins, cellulose, and the end residual uh, sort of fibers that make up the, the structure of the, of the seaweed itself. We believe that it doesn't make sense to use 30% and throw away 70%. Um, even though you're working with a sustainable resource, it is an unsustainable practice to do so. In the future, we envision a process where everyone can extract their slice of percentage of Seaweed content and essentially, because you're using the whole um, the whole crop, you're firstly increasing the stability of the process, but then you're also decreasing the price because you're not paying one hundred percent of the crop you' use thirty percent you are only paying for your thirty percent because the remainder seventy percent is being bought by someone else, and that is something that we also want to look into, and we have plans for that
0: okay how, how would that look like just out of interest, would that be some sort of partnership between Perhaps yourself and, and, and other uh, startups, such as yourself, doing making slightly different products, maybe making, like you mentioned, um, animal feed and, and the likes.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, we are in contact right now with uh, with startups who are working on biorefinery and also with uh, companies, uh, larger companies, but also research groups who are, in fact, working on this cascading extraction method. Um, all the things that I mentioned earlier, so the proteins, lipids, obviously the biomolecules that we use as well, but all the things that are in seaweed right now, uh, they are being extracted. Uh, it's an established and existing industry. Combining them is what will really make it a difference in the future because it just allows to unlock so much more potential out of the same crop. And what we want to do that, the way we envision it, is yes, yeah, setting up essentially a biorefinery facility in collaboration with uh, this knowledgeable um corporations research groups uh, startups whatever and basically work together towards actually just using the part that you need Mm -hmm. during the extraction a specific order so that whatever you're extracting does not damage the next step and eventually everyone can be happy and take their part in the seaweed crop
0: kind of leads into what i was going to ask you next uh which is which is you know um is there anything that you are looking forward to within the seaweed industry what change or innovation would you like to see in the industry that would make your life yourself personally or flexi um, a lot easier well you know it could could be a a product or service or changes legislation maybe we haven't mentioned legislation but i'm sure that
1: legislation is is actually a very important topic and i'm glad you mentioned it Uh, right now the seaweed industry is very deregulated and uh, delocalized so you have many different seaweed farming families Uh, you have thousands of them in Indonesia alone Uh, all of them grow their seaweed and then you have bigger buyers who eventually buy the seaweed bring it to bio refineries and then import it uh, into the countries that um, eventually reprocess it in-house and sell it off as those biomolecules or whatever they are extracting from it traceability in this is uh, very hard because of because of this reason of everything being very decentralized But there are uh, great companies out there who are working today to actually uh, increase the traceability of the seaweed, increase the way uh, that you can actually know where your seaweed is coming from, where it's been harvested, when, how, by who, uh, using what practices, and everything down also to the refinery. So how it's been refined, uh, under what practices, um, whether it's been truly in a sustainable method, or they've been using some weird, harsh chemicals, which are not supposed to be using. And also where it's been, because we're talking about huge countries, like just keep the example of Indonesia, you could travel thousands of kilometers without even leaving Indonesia, which means that your seaweed, which takes up a lot of carbon and has the potential to create a carbon negative material, might become actually very very carbon heavy because of the places it's traveled to even before leaving its country of origin so that's also an important part of uh, traceability whether it's through blockchain or not there's companies who are working to do that and we really look forward to when that actually is implemented on a larger scale and when there is even some international legislative body that actually takes care of this because it's something that is needed uh, and again i'm talking regardless of uh, of plastic and uh, and how plastic from seaweed will eventually end up being Uh, Seaweed will be an important part of the future as a resource, and it is important to track it as much as we can. Um, Another sort of thing that needs to be improved, another aspect that needs to be improved in the the seaweed industry, is a genetic uh, variation within the seaweed crops. So because of the way that seaweed is farmed, uh, for the most part, um, basically how you do it is, you do it through ropes and lines that are set out from the coast to uh, shallow bodies of water along the coast, tying up pieces of seaweed at regular intervals, and essentially you cut off what you need, and then in 45 days it will grow again. You're not actually going through a sexual reproduction of the seaweed, you're doing vegetative reproduction. So every crop is a clone of the previous crop, and most likely every single seaweed plant within a plantation is a genetic clone of themselves of the original crop which means that if a disease comes over then a whole cultivation can be exterminated quickly for the simple reason that they all have the same exposure and the same vulnerability to um, and resistance to diseases again there are companies who are selecting resisting uh, more resisting uh, strains uh, more genetic variation uh, strains that can resist, for example, to higher uh, temperatures and water if there is uh, more uh, global warming and ocean warming uh, temperature. Uh, seaweed that can resist to different ocean conditions, so you can actually expand the area in which you grow. Of course, uh, seaweed grows fairly easily. I mentioned earlier, it does not require any artificial inputs or fertilizers or whatever. But again, the oceans need to have a certain temperature, but also a certain nutrient uh, availability in the water. Uh, So again, selecting seaweed that can grow in a wider range and a wider uh, variance of those nutrients is important to be able to increase even more the cultivation out there, which is already substantial, but the more the merrier. Hmm. Sounds like there's a lot to do in this space, isn't there? It is a, a growing industry. So the science behind it, as I mentioned, cultivation has been going on for over 50 years. So that's well established. People know how to grow it. And now it's a matter of fine-tuning it uh, so you can grow it better and eventually expanding it even further.
0: Do do you feel, to that end, do you feel there is a a community, a seaweed, um, whether it's international or or European perhaps, um, group or, or community or association that is sort of leading?
1: Yes. Yes, yes, definitely, uh, and we are part of those associations, so there, there's two big ones. There's uh, the Safe Seaweed Coalition and the Seaweed for Europe. Uh, we're part of both of them, and uh, it's really a, m- a matter of bringing all the players that use and work in the seaweed industry together, discussing what the future looks like and having collaboration with each other. At the end of the day, uh, if you bring together seaweed farmers, seaweed refiners, importers, exporters, and people who work with final products like us, uh, or people who are working in uh, cosmetics or pigments. It just makes sense to be all together in a round table, work course, together, yeah. speak, uh, see how we can help each other, how we can help each other source better seaweed that is more traceable, uh, help perhaps grow more seaweed, uh, improve the way we extract whatever we need from the seaweed, and eventually improve the way that we, as final users of the seaweed, work. Because that is the most essential part, right? We do not work in a vacuum. We do not live uh, in a world where there is only us. And even when it comes to our competitors and there are other companies doing what we're trying to do. Again, we're talking startups, we're not talking massive corporations. There is no commercially available bioplastic from seaweed today. It doesn't make sense to just lock your mentality into what you're doing and not look around you because there is a lot to share with other companies. uh, Because At the end of the day, of course there is competitiveness, but there is a healthy competitiveness uh, there is so much in the plastic industry it's so so big that even if all of us succeed and all of us become huge companies there would be space for another 20 huge and even bigger companies to play there in the space and we'd still all be uh, very successful so it's just a matter of realizing that and when you realize it uh, it's really a matter of being friends rather than enemies there's there's no there's no advantage to competing after a certain point. Absolutely.
0: Very interesting when you put it that way. It definitely sounds like it's interesting times for, for the seaweed industry, for sure. Um, yes. I'm going to switch gear, if I may, and move, in, move on to uh, something that is slightly controversial. I wanted to ask you about uh, carbon credits. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give a bit of background, um, seaweed absorbs carbon. You kind of touched on it earlier. Um, absorbs carbon using photosynthesis just -hmm. like a tree does yeah Um, a seaweed in fact can actually do it a lot more quickly than trees particularly certain species as you as you mentioned earlier yes Um, do you think there is potential in future for flexi or similar companies Um, particularly i'm thinking of the producers so the the seaweed farming side Mm -hmm. of things to um, benefit from carbon credits coming from people or businesses
1: um, offsetting their own carbon emission. What, what is your view on, on that? So as you mentioned, carbon credits are quite, kind of controversial. So it is a way where you're basically paying to wash your hands of an issue which you've produced and you had no interest in Improving basically. (laughs) So I'm not a believer in carbon credit as a solution to carbon emissions, Uh, not at all Uh, I think there will always be more money for people to pay than carbon credits to offset whatever has been paid for So at the end of the day, it's not a true solution However, uh, if you're taking advantage of the situation on the other side So if you are a seaweed farmer and you're actually using money that is being thrown at you literally because also because of legislation by large corporations, and using that money to subsidize your activities, to improve the way you're growing the seaweed, to grow more seaweed, or to grow it at a cheaper cost, so you can sell it even cheaper, and therefore have a larger impact, well, definitely plays an advantage in that case. So even though it's money that is not put there for the good reason, it is money that can serve a better purpose down the line, and not because of the carbon. Seaweed takes in huge amounts of carbon, so as I mentioned earlier, two kilotons per square um, hectare that is actually cultivated. Uh, algal photosynthesis is the main producer of oxygen on, on Earth. People think that the Amazon is the lung of the Earth. So that, that's not true. It's the oceans. Uh, nearly 80% of the oxygen we breathe comes from the seas and oceans around the world and algal photosynthesis. But even then, carbon credits, I think they're they're just not ethical the way they are being used today. But if they become a substantial amount of revenue for those people and can benefit downstream even us, then of course I am for it because it means that people who are really trying to make a difference and can have a difference can make a difference at the source, so prevent that CO2 from even being, even being emitted in the first place, then it makes sense in that sense.
0: From a purely scientific perspective, if we farm seaweed to make a seaweed-based product that will last a short amount of time, because say it's a snack for example, or the single use bioplastic packaging it comes with, Mm -hmm. then the carbon temporarily stored in that product will inevitably come back to the atmosphere shortly after it is disposed of, effectively going full circle within the space of a few months potentially. Does this scenario justify talking about carbon credits, do you think, or does it simply just belong to the fast carbon cycle instead?
1: Well, it definitely is a fast cycle in that sense. Uh, But if you look at alternatives, uh, really, we're in a stage now where you really want to use the best alternative out there to what there is. And we think that is definitely a potential for seaweed to be one of the best alternatives to petroleum-based packaging. So when you say seaweed takes in CO2, but then you might essentially release that CO2 back through the decomposition of the material within a few weeks, months, or maybe a year at most. It is true, but the seaweed is taking in CO2 which is already in the atmosphere. If instead of that you use a material which is much more resistant um, to time, like petroleum-based plastic, you're taking out more carbon, which is currently underground in the form of oil, taking that out of a stored source of carbon and releasing that into the atmosphere, and eventually you will have to cope with it even more down the line. If you take into account the carbon emission of, for example, polyethylene uh, throughout the the production of one kilogram of polyethylene and then the afterlife, whether it is incinerated again or decomposes over a very long amount of time, uh, by using one kilogram of flexi material versus one kilogram of polyethylene, you are in fact saving six kilograms of CO2. To
0: sort of... Come around your side then, um, it's definitely the saving we should focus on Yes. and the added benefits that come with cultivating at sea as opposed to land. Some of which you've mentioned earlier such as not needing fresh water, not needing fertilizer, arable land, with the issues of soil depletion that come with that. The resulting reduction in carbon emissions by using seaweed as an alternative plus these further environmental benefits are quite significant.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, you mentioned land for existing bioplastics. I mentioned petroleum-based plastics, so the difference, perhaps, is more subtle when you look at other plants, because of course, the plants take in the CO2 as well, rather than actually releasing more CO2 than there was originally in the air, because you're not taking CO2 from sea, uh, carbon, sorry from oil. But seaweed is just more sustainable than land crops because it doesn't require all those things. Um, I mean, one of the major sources of deforestation today uh, is because of agriculture and the need for arable land. Um, again, even if you look at seaweed, uh, the way it takes away carbon, it's, it takes away carbon that is in the water. And carbon in the water comes from uh, dissolved CO2. When CO2 dissolves in water, whether it's fresh water or salt water, it uh, dissolves as a form of a carboxylic acid, and as you probably know, uh, reefs, reefs of coral in the world are made of calcium carbonate, and if you expose calcium carbonate to an acid it essentially melts away. So seaweed actually contributes to the deacidification of the oceans, which is also another plus, which of course land crops cannot say they do.
0: Yes, um, definitely a lot of different angles. Oh. We could do a whole podcast on all these different aspects and approaches. Um, Yes. Look, I'm I'm conscious we've been chatting away for uh, quite some time now. So, sadly, I think we're going to have to wrap this up. Where can people find out more about Flexi if they're so inclined and um, how to get in touch with you?
1: So, uh, I invite all the listeners to follow us uh, on LinkedIn, where we're very active on posting our updates. And of course, also uh, to be part of our newsletter. Uh, you can go on our website and sign up, uh, subscribe to our newsletter. And also through our website, you can go in the contact page and write us a question, a, a message, or whatever you feel like, and we will reply very quickly to it. Also, if you want to go directly to us, you can just contact us at contact ccom and we'll be in touch very soon. Fantastic. Uh,
0: Carlo, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you very much for making the time. It'd be great to catch up in future maybe with a follow-up episode to hear how things are going
1: absolutely no thank you for having me and uh, definitely down for a further episode down the line to see how things have evolved hopefully positively you
0: could invite me to your new production site how's that
1: sound? yes definitely we're gonna move into a, a new laboratory very soon you you're more than welcome to come and have a look if you want ah uh, thank you very much cheers Bye, Carver. bye